This is the Yeah, yeah I'm Reg Clay. Usually Norman G would be here, but he is not. Uh, this is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, we are sponsored by, by Central Works, a new play theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And I have a wonderful guest, Catherine Park. How are you, Catherine? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad to have you. And uh, I, you're one of those individuals that I found on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, you are a actress. You're a singer-songwriter. Uh, yeah. You've done so much stuff. Um, let me just read a little bit what I have here. <laughs> uh, you have a film that you um, were in called Up in the Clouds, which is on Amazon Prime. Yes. Um, you wrote a beautiful song. I wasn't know if, I didn't know if it was part of a record. Uh, we'll glow in the dark forever, and uh, we'll be focusing on that. We'll play. I'll play a little clip on that as well. Thanks. You were last on stage as uh, Eleanor of Aquin, A- Aquitaine. Yes, Eleanor of Aquitaine. That's <laughs> yeah, right. the Anarchy Quartet yes. at the exit. Yes. So, uh, well, first and foremost, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful having you on. There's a bit of a lag, so I'm it's probably staticky. But in any case, no, it's great to have you here. And, um, you know, we'll talk about you and everything that you've been doing here in the Bay Area. Um, I want to give you a shout out, too, because I think... You're one of those people who I also follow on Facebook, and oh. I don't even remember when like we first connected, but um, I just feel, feel like we have some people in common, and then when I saw the play at Alterina... Yeah, you saw It's Only the yeah, Play. Yeah, uh, that was incredible, and I, I'm here, I'm like, your fan, <laughs> so just so you know, I was in the front row, and like, yeah, I saw you and your boyfriend the came, prayer, and like, little... on your knees right in front of us, and... <laughs> I probably even asked you if you had a cell phone when I was doing the whole cell phone Yes, bit. I think you pointed to us. It was, it was really awesome. What yeah. a small world. So well, that's the cool thing about the Bay, Theory, Bay Area theater community. You either know someone or you know someone who knows someone, like yeah. you know Jake Gleason. Um, and, or, yeah, I know his work. He probably doesn't know me. but <laughs> <laughs> No, it's fantastic. We're all a big tapestry of uh, just artists trying to make it happen. So yeah. it's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, usually I bring in some current events and there have been some really interesting things happening, especially this week. Um, attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. This really gets into just the volatility of politics where Mm -hmm. it's not just verbal rhetoric, but it's now it's getting into violence. I mean, um, do you have a take on what's happening? I mean, the midterms are happening, so I don't know if you followed politics at all. I I do. Um, I just saw about Nancy Pelosi, like, I think this morning, like, before I came over here. So yeah. I'm still, like, wrapping my head around that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like you said, it, well, and what a lot of people say about violence is that, you know, the little things we say and our words really do matter and they can escalate the climate of, of you know. Everything. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of, politicians say well i'm just saying words i mean i'm sure trump every time trump says something really really horrible like let's say you know the coronavirus is the china virus thinking well it's just rhetoric for my people to get them riled up but it hurts 
a whole community. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I really feel that um, especially when people are in positions of power or like right now when we have a microphone, it's very important to pick our words, you know, with care yeah. because if we're privileged enough to have that um, platform, it's something that reaches people and it gets into people's minds and hearts and it's important to, you know, s just try to, you know, get things on the right path and yeah. not. I mean, it's basically about just being good to people and being nice to people, even people that you may, you may not agree with. Yeah. Like I know the whole abortion issue is a polarizing thing, but you can at least say, listen, we can agree to disagree. I can listen to your views. You can listen to my views, but I don't need to demonize you to uplift myself. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, we need more of that. And I really do think this guy, 42-year-old individual, he had been listening to some rhetoric and... Of course, the Republicans have been attacking Nancy Pelosi throughout her entire career. Yeah. Um, so it, I'm not surprised that this is a uh, aftermath or this is a byproduct of, of what's going on. Speaking of which, Kanye West and anti-Semitism. I have no idea why he's attacking Jews, but he even said himself he, it cost him $3 billion. I mean, he has a um, an agency where um, athletes sign up for his agency. Well, they've mm -hmm. left... Adidas canceled their contract. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's learning that what he says, you know, it may just rile up people and, you know, get clicks on right. whatever platform he's on, but people will retaliate. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing from the Jewish American community, a little frustration just about how, um, you know, since 2020 and of course, before as well, but especially since 2020 with everything, um, there's been a, a big escalation in anti-Semitism and yeah. it's not like a new thing all of a sudden with, with one person, Kanye West, it's been, um, like amping up in the last couple it's years. It's a little weird. I mean, I don't know your take on it. I mean, we're both minorities, yeah. you know, some can say, oh no, Asian women are getting it way worse. There have been several women who have been pushed off tracks. Yeah. It's happened in New York People City. There, there yeah. are black violence on yeah. black men. They're the Latino community. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's still remnants of the zero tolerance policy of, of the Bush administration, um, the, uh, the um, Trump administration, where some kids still haven't found their parents. Yeah. So lots of communities can say, no, we're the ones who are getting it worse than others. But really, it's all of us. Yeah. And it's a shame. It's, yeah. it's exciting to be able to talk to you and kind of, um, I know just for me as an, uh, I'm biracial and I'm Asian American woman. My mom's from born in Korea and my dad's white and from uh, Britain, right? Yeah. My grandfather, his family was British mm -hmm. and my grandmother, um, her family has been here since like Mayflower times. So mm. she has there is some, um, there's also some Irish and um, Welsh and Scottish, but mostly yeah. that I, th that area. Sure. Um, but just as an Asian American woman, um, I think when, like talking about how all of us are affected, mm -hmm. um, what I notice is like when it was really kind of heavy for our community, and it still is, but mm -hmm. when it was really heavy, the the black uh, community was the one that 
I turned to a lot with the people who really I felt like understood and were saying all the most comforting things to me and provided like kind of a model of a way forward. So I'm really grateful for that and for the kind of solidarity between all of us. I'm glad to hear that because a lot of the instances that I've heard, the attacks on Asian women, some of them have been by black men. And I'm like, dude, you're making us look bad. You know, just stop it. I mean, some of them are homeless issues. You know, we do have a homeless situation in all major cities. And so you have someone, I don't know, high on meth or something like that, and they flip out. But still, you don't know what's in people's minds. Mm -hmm. And the whole imagery of that or, black, you know, one minority committing violence against someone else is horrible. Right. It's it's easy. Um, I think sometimes what we see in the news is if you look at the the actual statistics, it's like sometimes like I get a lot of like Facebook feeds from like um, different news anchors who are doing a good job reporting on the Asian hate and the violence. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes like what we see is, yeah, just a lot of um, like, unfortunately, a lot of the the black perpetrators of that but but if you look at the numbers i don't think it's only that like yeah i really do hope it's isolated it's not a outlier of something bigger i don't think that black people go after asian people yeah Exactly. Um, There is some news. uh, This deals with Broadway. Patti LuPone, she had an article, I think it was in The Atlantic, where she talked about she's leaving um, equity. She's leaving equity. And she's had some really scathing remarks about Broadway in general. And it's good to get your advice or your take on it because I can imagine you being on Broadway. I'm sure you would love to be a starring role on Broadway or whatever. But she's making a point that Broadway has become Disneyified and too, I don't know, light or poppy, mm-hmm. and there's not enough seriousness. Do you agree? Um, so my take on it is she said some really interesting stuff in the past about just the state of theater in this country. Yeah. For example, in the United States, there's been efforts to make a national theater uh, but we don't actually have a national theater, which is very embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and just an overall, yeah, sense of our culture is things do get very corporate when as they very much so keep going. Yeah. Um, and uh, just personally, when I've only been to one show, I think in New York on Broadway, um, I. I prefer intimate, everyone who knows me, I prefer intimate theaters and intimate. I mean, I do too, but I really thought that you would have, because you're so musically based, that Mm -hmm. I thought that your trajectory would be Broadway. But I'm sort of like you. I really love the sort of black box theater concept where there's intimacy and the audience is right there in front of you. And I do agree. It's funny, I'm listening to, there's a podcast that I love called The Hit Parade. It's on Slate. Mm -hmm. And they've been talking about, they talk about music genre. And this genre this week is funk. (laughs) And as you can tell from my intro music for the yay, uh, I love the 70s funk. And it talks, the the, the podcast talks about 
how corporates will take, let's say, something really authentic yeah. and make it commercialized and funk, you know, turned into disco, yeah. <laughs> rock and roll. Jerry Lee Lewis just passed away a couple of days ago. Yeah. That became sort of the, uh, what do they call it? The um, teenage idol. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, um, Bobby... Uh, what's, what's the dude's name? Um, but you, you, there are all these teen idols, Fabian and and Bobby Duran. I, I forget those guys' names. but And you also saw it with uh, punk. Mm-hmm. Punk became new wave. Mm-hmm. So it happens. And I think it's happening on Broadway. Yeah. You have something really, really authentic. Like I think of Hamilton as being something close to probably the last bit of authenticity authenticity mm. that we've had on Broadway or mm. in the Heights, really anything mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda has created. Mm-hmm. But still you have these revivals. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Terrence McNally talked about it in the play that I did. It's only a play mm-hmm. where I talk about, you know, theater should be a place where people can talk to one another. That's yeah. why I, <laughs> when I saw that monologue, I was like, I got to do that. <laughs> so um, it's a shame. I have no idea whether, Disney and the Marvel franchise has affected audiences. There are all sorts of movie theaters that are closing down. The California, the Shattuck Theater. People aren't walking into um, movies anymore. So there are lots of um, companies, whether it be theater companies, low theaters, that's why the exit is closing down, Mm -hmm. to bring audiences in. So yeah. I don't know, uh, you know, what's going on. I mean, and I'm sure you've had that issue. Let's say like you create something wonderful, a song. Um, and now the next test is how do I get people to listen to it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I just talking about how things are changing like that on, on Park Street in Alameda, uh, we have like one of the last video stores, I think. Oh yeah. That like a blockbuster? <laughs> It's not blockbuster, but... But it's um, like independent. Yeah. People can just rent out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's a dying thing. It's... it's you can't it's physically so own precious. things anymore. Yeah. I used to, like, physically have a CD mm-hmm. or a record yeah. or a tape. <laughs> I have those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten rid of a lot of mine. Every, I have a whole collection of CD, uh, yeah. MP3s. Yeah. So I at least own that. But you can't yeah. even own it digitally anymore. Everything is streaming. Yeah. I have no idea how today's artists, even recording artists, make money because there Most are no de- yeah. de- legitimate sales anymore. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Like this matcha latte that I oh ma- Mo- milk matcha uh-huh. latte yeah. that I have right here. Um, every time my my one song that I have on iTunes and all the streaming media, whenever that kind of amount on TuneCore hits like around five or ten dollars I'll like get myself one of these and I'm like my music paid for this and it takes a really long time to get that much yeah I I feel sad for I mean sure the internet has created a boon for lots of industries and that's why Amazon and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg those guys are multi-billionaires but there have been casualties Mm -hmm. like the recording industry. I remember when I don't. Uh, so you, I think you came in two thousand eight, right? You and your boyfriend. Um, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. That's what I read on yeah internet music database. I'm the type of person if it <laughs> if it happened yesterday, it's like gone from my mind. But that's all written down in two thousand eight. But terrible I, at dates. But that sounds yeah, right. But I remember yeah, uh, even right. earlier there used to be a Virgin Records. Uh, yeah. In downtown San Francisco, you probably were gone when that was when it was over. But when iTunes, actually, it happened right around that time uh, when um, either when iTunes c- came 
or when the whole Napster situation happened, yeah. Virgin Records just disappeared. Yeah. They had literally five stories and their margin must have been so small yeah. that when people stopped buying records or actual tapes or CDs, that business just died just like that. Yeah. So it's amazing how there are winners and losers when it comes to the internet. Yeah, there are. Yeah. It's, it, it, the cool thing is like, there are still places like fighting on and like yeah. I take a lot of comfort in um I always say her name wrong but the pretenders uh Chrissy Chrissy Hind Hind yeah. yeah she um I I heard her interview once and she was talking about how when she was growing up when she wanted to see a band it'd be like in a field somewhere in like middle America sure um at maybe at a fair mm -hmm. there wasn't even like a building to s like a venue to see a band in around where she lived and yeah. um and then to see that like change into where most major cities in in you know in our country there's like definitely venues to see independent bands now rock bands um or acts of different genres and mm -hmm. um but that I don't know I think music always finds a way to to keep going and it does yeah. <laughs> I remember Chrissy Hine there's a wonderful documentary called the history of rock and roll yeah and they had a section called the 70s and there were a lot of bands that came out of the 60s and of course the 60s was all about free love and free freedom yeah. of expression and you had the whole idea of you know performing at the park mm -hmm. I think it began with the Monterey Music Festival and there ah. were these jazz artists and then you had the rock and roll and the rockabillies and uh, muddy waters cool. and you had young people like wow this is what black music is or let's mm. say this is what African music is or this is what you know uh, Asian music is and then you had this blending and then you get Woodstock mm -hmm. and Jimi Hendrix yeah. and all of that stuff and as the 70s went on it sort of died out or it became corporate yeah. where you had to perform in arenas and Peter Frampton and the, the hair bands <laughs> ACDC that sort of stuff <laughs> the and blending is is super interesting like um, like not only do we have such the influence from Africa with jazz and going yeah. up the river from Louisiana and That's everything, right. but that also happened in other countries too. Like in, I think um, it's uh, it's like the Portuguese music. That's um, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it starts with a D. Uh, anyway, mm -hmm. but it's the type of music that um, is just one person, one woman singing, wearing all black and very moody and with really interesting melodic um, shapes in it. And that's influenced from Africa as well, from, you know, diaspora. And then like in our country, there's other ways of that happening. Like in the surf scene, there sure. is influence from like, Arabic music, getting mm -hmm. into the surf music, and it's really um, yeah, it's cool the when it happens. The guitarists would use way. these. Um, there are all these. I know folks are like, my God, I thought this was a theater thing, but yes, yeah, no, it sort of blends music. into it. But yeah, the guitarist. I forget who the guitarist is. He's sort of the the king of the surf. Yeah, guitarist. you know what I'm talking about. I don't know his name. Yeah. I don't know his name <laughs> either. But uh, he he would use these Eastern melodic runs. Yeah. Uh, to get into, I, I took music theory, uh, one of the classes that I had at NYU, and it talked about how Western theater is based on the ionic uh, melodic run, which is basically the C run. And, 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 but there are also these other, this is based in the Middle, middle Ages where yeah. 
these churches or these uh, tribes would have the different mode. types of uh, runs. Yeah. yeah, these there's the um, the Dorian, yeah. the Lydian, Our the Mixolydian, mm-hmm. the Aeolian, <laughs> yeah, and minor. <clears throat> exactly, yeah. exactly a minor. And so you have like if you listen to Indian music, yeah, then you will hear you know these very odd runs odd to us because yeah. we're Westerners. And there's it, Indian music. It like blows my mind because there are degrees of the scale mm-hmm. beyond our 12 like the only time in western music i've even heard of that is like when on violin if you play like an e sharp mm-hmm. it's actually it could be slightly different than an f with your finger placement right um, because you don't have the frets although there. e and f are right there yeah. but there is a middle on piano it's like just the same but right. like on voice or another instrument where you can be really, really precise. You can mm-hmm. make like tea and dough like really, really next to each right. other. And the yeah. only reason why we are focused on this westernized version of music is because of the dominance of England and the yeah. dominance of the church. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, you have these church who would write these, you know, church hymns. Yeah. And those hymnals and the way that they would write it mm-hmm. forms how we do music today, at least in the Western world. Yeah. But it's okay to look at other parts like a good playwright friend of mine and scott munson says hey as writers we need to get out of the western way of writing things and pay attention to other forms Mm. of writing other forms of culture in general i'm very interested in that because even me i have a mom who was born in asia i have a lineage of you know folk even folk religion in my my family with the women Mm -hmm. um but sadly i i I don't know that much about it. And that's something I'm, I'm learning myself yeah. um, and I am from that culture. So, um, yeah, I think it's exciting to learn more and I, yeah. I hope I do. And there was always the fight things. against assimilation yeah. and assimilation sometimes can happen without you knowing it. Yeah. You know, you're in America, you're hanging out with your buddies and it's like, Hey, this is my culture. Yeah. But then I'm again, American. you yeah. got to get back to your roots yeah. to it's understand who that. you really are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one last thing, I always try to squeeze in a fun thing. An Arizona grandmother was arrested for feeding the homeless. This happened, she basically is a good Samaritan. I guess there's an ordinance uh, from the local Arizona. This is not sort of white wing, right wing thing. I think they were earnestly trying to say, well, we don't want, we don't make sure no one is poisoned. Right. So if you're going to feed someone, you have to have them in closed containers. But arresting them? I mean, no. I work in the DA's office. You don't no. arrest someone. You can give them a citation or exactly. give them a warning or something like that. It's so. t- set them up for success to, yeah. you know, keep feeding them in a safe way, not like arrest them. Yeah. Was, like, yeah. Just it's one of those bogus. things. So, and of course, it got blowback. It became national news. Yeah. This woman is, I think, 82 years old. Oh, my God. And, it's traumatizing. And of course the cop, there's of course video because of course someone videoed it. <laughs> and Good. the cop was like, listen, I'm sorry, but I've got to arrest you. No. I'm under the, you know, and it's like, oh, no. come on, dude. You know, you don't have to arrest her, you know. No. And it's the ordinance. Sense. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there was some board of supervisors says, well, listen, we really didn't want to do this, but there's an ordinance and we have to enforce the rules and blah, 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 blah. And it's it's just... I don't know. It's just crazy. Yeah, that's. It's just a complete lack of, of, just knowing the right thing to do, <laughs> and and the laws and should be enforced to you know, 
enforced to right. I mean, what, what are the laws made for? <laughs> to make all of us happy and it makes all of us yeah. a civilized society. You know, if no one is trying to hurt someone, then, you know, what's the big deal? So is she... She got charged or she just They got... threw out the charges. Okay. <laughs> so it's one of those things. Great. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if a policeman says you've committed a crime. If the DA's office, no matter won't where you are, you. won't it's... charge it, then it's nothing. Yeah. Which but leads into the, the catch trauma of ch- getting arrested. Exactly. Yeah. She got booked. She got fingerprinted. Yeah. And she'll be in the okay. criminal record. Yeah. Whatever database it is forever. Yeah. For, for for doing a Samaritan, you know, if Jesus were alive, then she's a hero. Yeah. Any case, so that is that. Let's. I'm going to play a little clip. We'll glow in the dark forever. And this is Catherine Park. is an absolutely beautiful beautiful soothing soothing song and i'm just gonna you know play just a little clip of it thanks so much for playing that thanks for finding that <laughs> <laughs> it was easy to find and the video is looks really really professional and mm-hmm. uh it has a very i don't know if she pronounces her name bjork or bjork Bjork, I, think? I don't know <laughs> but, it, but it is I very bjork like i mean it's really? very trancey very romantic you can just you know it's just oh, you almost melt compliment. into the music <laughs> I, that's amazing thank you yeah, so let's let's hear it. an origin story i did re- write a little bit of it you wrote a lot I, I imagine you were the one to write the narrative in the internet music database your you, the the imdb page is mm-hmm is really thick with uh, your narrative, but uh, you're yeah. from Boston. Yeah, I was born in Framingham. Mm-hmm. I, I was born in uh, Framingham, and I, my family lived in Southboro, Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. then I moved to the town next to it, Westboro. That's where I was brought up, outside of Boston. I lived in Boston for a few years as well. Yeah, but you don't have the Boston accent. No, because I'm from the suburbs like Mindy Kaling. Okay. So I have like the Mindy Kaling kind of... I don't know. Wherever I go in America, people just think maybe I'm from there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, definitely I can, I mean, I'm, I do a little bit of dialect just <laughs> from, from my training. And there are a lot of West Coasters who their end sentences are an upward inflection. Like, like you know, it's like, <laughs> like, um, and I'm like, so oh, really? why are you here? And what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So that's a very West Coast thing. And you don't have that at all. Oh, I don't. Oh, interesting. So. I I do have a Boston accent when I'm tired. Okay. Or angry. So, (laughs) like, um, like the other, the, I, I think one of the things I said that really sticks in my mind is yeah. we were visiting Boston and I was like, I wonder if this great place is still there. And uh-huh. I said to, um, Doug, I was like, do you think they're still there? And I like, <laughs> I can't even yeah. do it on purpose, yeah. but like, it was like, just think they're still there. Like it was so muttering and like, I don't know. I was like, whoa, <laughs> still have it. Do you and have I said wicked. You have, you have a sister. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I've I have a sister, a younger sister. I also have a half sister that oh no, she's like a stepsister, <clears throat> not a uh-huh. half sister, but a stepsister that I have never met. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh I think she's in um 
the Navy, is that right? She is in this service. She's in uh, the Coast Guard. The actually. Coast Guard. Yeah. Okay, I knew I had to deal with water. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty private, so I don't like say much about her publicly, but she yeah. is incredible. We're like so close. I just saw her yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We're so she's, she's the oldest sister. She's my younger sister. Younger sister. You're but the oldest. She, I'm the oldest, but she's taller than me and now. And um, even mm-hmm. though we're, you know, about three years apart, um, now that we're both, you know, adults, we feel like we're the same age. And she's very, like, has her life really together. Like, uh, she's the sibling that mm-hmm. has it all together. She has, you know... Um, yeah, <laughs> so she's got that locked down, yeah. and I'm, I'm the I have a younger sister, person. the youngest. I'm the oldest of four, but she's yeah. the one who has, owns a house and a husband yeah, and yeah, two exactly. kids, and she's got it all locked down. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's so funny how a lot of people have that sibling who's like... Yeah, yeah. I, my theory is that siblings will learn from their older siblings yeah. and maybe may take a different path because they want to find their own their place. Own, yeah. Or the mistakes that we make as older siblings, they'll be like, okay, I know not to yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen you make a lot of mistakes. I mean, it sounds like you were a child prodigy. You were in the New England Conservatory of Music. Oh, <laughs> I was... Um, I knew from a young age that I wanted to perform, mm-hmm. so what, I begged my parents for voice lessons. Mm-hmm. I had already been in piano since I was two, okay, um, and started violin in first grade and um, flute in third grade, and then just love music so much. Mm. So, um, but I knew that voice was my thing, yeah. um, and I had I. For some reason, like, my parents were very, especially my mom, really supportive with any kind of music lesson. But the one I asked for, I had to really, like, be like, no, I really, really want to do voice. Um, And luckily, I had a choir teacher at my middle school who was like, yeah, no, she should be in voice lessons and talk to my parents um, and recommended a voice teacher. Yeah. And um, it ended up where that voice teacher like lived too far away and didn't Mm. have time or something. So, um, my mom found the New England conservatory and I was like, yes, yes, yes. I want to do that. And they have a preparatory school. So I went there for an, um, their like audition process for Mm -hmm. that. And they're like, she's really young. Like, I don't, I don't remember if I was 10 or 11 or what, but usually for classical voice for that track, they want you to start not too early. They want you to be about 13. Yeah. Um, Because you can damage your voice, actually. That's exactly right. I was about to bring that up. Um, So they were kind of hesitant, but Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I really want to do this. Please let me in, basically. And um, I just, I don't know if I said that, but I was thinking that in my head. Uh, But they let me they let me in. They said I was the youngest. Um, you were 10 years old? I don't remember. Okay. Um, like, I don't remember dates and ages that I was. Like, my yeah. brain just, I, I should ask my mom, but yeah. But if they wanted you at 12 and you were younger, then I mean, I, yeah. Exactly. I was, I was at the time for sure the youngest. Like, I remember just, um, I would go to the chorus in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, like around 9 a.m. or something Mm. and then I'd have a break and then I'd go to my lesson in in the conservatory like with all the college students around um at like 1 p.m. and I would just like walk through the halls and there'd be like all these rooms with 
constant like symphonies of music just mm -hmm. as they're walking through and these incredible musicians practicing in these closets and just a barrage of noise it is mm. so exciting um now did it take you away from academic studies i mean did you it sounds like you weren't if you were 10 years old doing this or 11 or something like that you weren't in elementary school anymore um, so the preparatory school is just an extracurricular time. So it's just, it was my Saturday, basically. I get yeah. it. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. But it was still exciting. I mean, were you intimidated when you were young or was it exciting? I mean, did you get a lot out of it? I was so cocky. Like, I just felt like, oh, I, I should be here. And like, <laughs> hey, that's awesome. <laughs> um, but I never had an opera voice. So mm -hmm. that was the only thing. Like, I was at that age in middle school, like I wanted to sing like Mariah Carey, um, <laughs> okay. at that time, yeah. like I just wanted to be a, like I was into pop really. And I hadn't even really discovered rock that much except for my cousin. Um, kind of like I saw like one time when I visited him in Maryland, he had all these like rock posters on the wall. And I sort of like, started to have an interest he like liked cocteau twins and the cure and you two yeah. and like he kind of exposed me to that a little bit but mm -hmm. i didn't get into that until after college into rock yeah 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 i um i think you had a band called the jumblies yeah is that right yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> i was i joined them right after so i did my undergrad at um, the heart school yeah and got a bachelor of music degree and then um, after that, and that was all like, you know, conservatory, like sure. classical training opera, and then opera type stuff. Um, and my track was applied voice and music ed. Um, I would, I would never get in somewhere in an opera program cause I don't, I don't have an opera voice, but, mm -hmm. um, but I love learning arias and stuff. But after that, I just went the t complete opposite direction. I started auditioning for rock bands okay. and I ended up finding this like indie darling little like amazing band in Boston and that was the Jumblies that I joined yeah and it sounds like you guys got a bunch of gigs or you guys were well known around uh, yeah. the Boston area we were doing like like at least eight shows a month and um you know rehearsing two or three times a week always for hours and um constantly you know working and it was um, like the best it was awesome we would do like sometimes we would do like um new hampshire and then go down and do massachusetts and then um rhode island mm -hmm. and then new jersey we'd sleep at our drummer's house and then like go uh, one time we did go down to like it was so fun we went down to um cbgb's hey when it was wow. still a thing and we played in the basement of wow. CBGB's um, we played at pianos yeah um, I don't know if that's still there but yeah CBGB's is sadly no longer but wow yeah, yeah. hey that's part of history we had yeah. uh, one guest we had was Jim Forandinas and he remembers CBGB's in the 70s mm -hmm. for those who don't know there's some millennials who may be listening to this but CBGB's that was sort of the birthplace of punk yeah. music i mean people think of punk like the sex pistols mm -hmm. of england mm -hmm. but really began with the um the new york dolls mm -hmm. and the ramones mm -hmm. and all of that happened in um and talking heads and all of that and kate smith all of that happened in cbgb's yeah. in new york so it was it was super cool to play there i was just i didn't really even understand at the time how 
I think maybe a little bit I did, but looking back, I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, in Boston, we played there because we're from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played all around Cambridge and Alston and um, like Somerville and all that. And yeah. uh, like some of our favorite places were Middle East, which is going through a big change right now. Um, they're like... You actually travel to the Middle East? Um, it's a venue called oh, the, Vin- Middle Middle called the Middle East. Oh, it's a venue called the Middle East. I understand. Yeah, okay. sorry. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Um, and this other place, TT, the Bears place, which I don't think is there anymore. Yeah. What was the style of music? I mean, was it grunge? I mean, I'm thinking this is like the early 90s or yeah. is it the late 90s or? This was early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. So um, our the founder of the band, our the mm-hmm. guitar player, he was super into shoegaze and okay. super into like like those Brit um, Brit bands like uh, what the Smiths, um, oh, My sure. Bloody Valentine. Oh, okay. Uh, We're talking about eighties. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Smiths and um, like uh, Slow let's Dive, um, Spaceman Three. Okay. Like it's like that. Um, like kind of yeah. A lot like of the psychedelic furs. Or maybe I that's, don't know that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> because yeah. that gets into the 80s. I mean, you know, okay. The Cure actually started. I remember being my first year at NYU and my first exposure to The Cure. I mean, yeah. I'm from D.C., Chocolate City. Yeah. So it's all black music. All of a sudden, I come to this white school. Yeah. They call it New NYU. And my friend had The Cure and he had Sushi and the Banshees. And I'm like, okay, what group yeah. is this? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was a... Was that culture. like posters you saw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool how you can like see a poster of a different genre of music and kind of get into it just from the visual. Right, exactly. Yeah. And of course, that was also MTV. Like I yeah. got exposed to MTV yeah. in a way I never did in in DC. Mm-hmm. And also, radio itself was very segregated. When you know, uh, yeah. radio now, I don't know if it is segregated because I hardly listen to radio now, but. Yeah. It's like if you told me Stairway to Heaven in D.C., I would think the O.J.'s because the O.J.'s had a very famous song called Stairway to Heaven. Okay. Of course, for a person who lives to rock, it's, of course, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, yeah. <laughs> and now you're open to Led Zeppelin and, mm-hmm. I don't know, The Who and um, Pink Floyd and all that stuff. It did used to be really segregated. Like, I had no idea until, like, this year that there used to be in a lot of radio programs, like, a woman's hour, mm. like... That just blew my mind, like, because I just, I think of so many, like, women performers throughout all time, and, like, mm-hmm. just amazing that there would be, out of 24 hours, there would be a woman's hour on some yeah. of the rock stations. Were like, you influenced <laughs> by, let's say, Susan Vega, or let's say Fiona Apple? Yeah, Fiona Apple, for sure, when I was, like, in high school. Mm-hmm. I thought she was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I still think she's incredible. Is she yeah. the one who did My Name is Luca? I don't know. Okay. Uh, do you know that song? <laughs> I don't think I do. Wait, maybe, I don't know titles always, so like okay. if I heard it, My maybe. name is Luca. Dun, 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 dun. I live up on the second floor. Next to you. Yeah. Sounds great. You can, you can, um, you know, you'll find it on yeah. YouTube or something like because it's very, very famous and I think it's 80s, probably it's before your time. Mm-hmm. But you, your your style reminds me of that. Oh, Getting back to, to theater, listen. did you have theater in the back of your mind when you were doing all of this, the music stuff? I'm wondering how because when you came here, mm-hmm. you sort of got into the theater community like yes. doing the exit and other things and also yes. movies. We'll get into that. Yeah. But I don't know if it was in the back of your mind when you were touring with the band and all that That's stuff. That's like a really cool question. So when I was just... A kid, I just 
didn't think it it was didn't wouldn't even cross my mind to dream to act hmm. because um I did like theater in my high school and stuff like that but yeah. I just not seeing like I didn't even meet another biracial person who was Korean and white or Asian and white like me until Korean and white until I was like here like as an adult in California hmm. um so I just I just didn't see myself anywhere and you I know, couldn't that's imagine a, yeah that's been a current theme that we've had a lot of guests who've come on especially Asian women who yeah. say you know I didn't really see myself in doing movies or theater or anything like that until I saw someone. I think Echo Yamamoto said, I saw Lucy Liu yeah. in Kill Bill. No, it was Reza, Reza Donato, who is a, a wonderful Philippine-American uh, actress and also fight coordinator. Yeah. And she talked about how Kill Bill and seeing Lucy Liu was an influence on her. Oh, yeah. Lucy Liu, um, it, like, I remember when I was really little, like, actually a news anchor, Connie Chung. Yeah. I was like, okay, like she's on TV. Like, like I, my mom and I are huge fans of Connie Chung. She's so amazing. Yeah. And then just any little, any person that I could find, like Lucy Liu, like she's not Korean, but she's Asian American. And mm -hmm. in college, like my friends would call me Lucy Liu, like as a nickname. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's like I just like hold on to whatever representation I could find. Sure. Like, I was going to ask you, did you feel like an outsider, you know, in your life, even within the Korean community or the Asian community? Because you're mixed. Mm -hmm. um, I was really lucky. Where I think it's I have a lot of privilege with within the even within my family. Mm -hmm. Like my grandmother, um, like she was always so sweet to me so amazing uh, but I have like light skin and some other my cousins um, and you know in my family there's colorism and mm. so I was really lucky I was always really accepted and treated kindly by people sure. in my family but um, but I know there's like mixed people we we have our own stuff to go through with everything from colorism to feeling like a unicorn kind of like we just feel like we fit everywhere and nowhere. It's it's yeah. our own stuff. Um, yeah. But also, mm -hmm. like, I think it's, as I get older, I realize how I, I wish I had done more when I was little and I want to do more to just amplify, like, the people in my family and my community who have less of privileges than I do. Um, sure. Yeah. And it's one of those, I mean, it happens in the black community too. My yeah. mom, my current mom my biological mom passed away but my current mom she has very very light skin. she has skin mm -hmm. as light as yours mm -hmm. and yes you're right within the family especially within the black community there is a bit of a prejudice or tension if mm -hmm. let's say someone gets by because they have light skin yeah as opposed to dark skin yeah uh, that's really really prevalent in the um the black community and even there have been ladies that i've dated who are asian who mm -hmm. talk about within the asian community there are products that can lighten yes. your skin yeah yeah. And that really blew my mind, especially yeah. in the Philippine community. I stopped, I, my mom was given by a well-meaning, like, pastor's wife. Um, she was like, I think this would be good for you. It's like the Shiseido white loose, lucent mm. uh, face wash. I didn't even realize that that was a whitening thing. And my mom was like, what the heck is this? She's like, you want it? I'm like, 
yeah, I like love skincare stuff. So I was using it and I didn't even realize how much it was lightening my skin until I read that that was a lightening product. So I stopped using it. And then, you know, this like beautiful golden honey more tones came back to my skin. Yeah. But if you like, if you look up videos from me from maybe like 2014, I was using that. And mm. I'm, I really regret that. I wish I never did. Yeah. Well, you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like you were in. trying to yeah. be that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's unfortunate. And it's one of those things. I mean, you talk about privilege, the privilege that you have. You didn't create your privilege. That was mm-hmm. created long, long ago before mm-hmm. you and I were even born. I mm-hmm. mean, Norman is famous for saying that race is a concept that's only created by people who want to control others. But, you know, we're all r- related. And the consequences are so real, like, yeah. Yes, (laughs) yes, very, very much so. Um, Talk about you coming here to the Bay. What prompted you and your boyfriend to drive over here? Um, Well, we were walking in Kenmore Square, coming back from a movie. It was in Boston. It was so icy and sludgy and snowy and cold, and we both loved, like, warm weather. Mm -hmm. We're like, we got to get out of (laughs) here. So we just started dreaming, like, where would we want to live if we could choose? And um, we started looking at the West Coast, like, we looked as far north as, like, Seattle, and Mm -hmm. just started looking down the whole West Coast, and then we got to this little beautiful town, which, after we moved there, was voted, like, prettiest town in America. It was Cambria, Hmm. California, and I was going through like a lot of just personal stuff with my family that I was healing from. Mm-hmm. And we moved there and we were like super, we were the broke artist people, like star- literally the starving artist people. But we lived there and that beauty of California and the coast, it was so healing to me. And we, we lived there for, I think, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sister uh, got stationed in Northern California. So that's how we we came up here nice um, and then just I love the Bay Area love and that it. was in 2000 well it's written down here 2008 that was right around the time Barack Obama uh, became president yeah um, I was recording uh, another project um, during his election mm-hmm. and um, it was it was we were like in between recording and this is uh, right this was like must have been either I was back in town in Boston to do the recording or right before we left or I think we came back to visit and then I did the recording um in it must have been at Wooly Mammoth Studios with Dave Westner and I remember him like checking the screen in between like our like editing and takes in the studio we're like checking the election mm-hmm. and uh, really exciting time and I saw him um speak I was one of those people standing outside like during his campaign in Boston is that right you yeah. actually saw him in the flesh very far away and he was tiny like yeah, uh, yeah but I yeah. saw him yeah we saw him and it was my a really really interesting experience because it was I remember before he he came to Boston I got some sort of email or something and it was like asking like what was like you know important to you as a voter or something and I wrote like very specific things about like music education was right. important to me or yeah. some, like very specific thing and I was completely blown away because he did this like hours long speech. And then in that speech, he mentioned the thing that I had emailed about. Yeah. And I was like, wait, <laughs> they listen? <laughs> yeah. You write to them? They're yeah. Like, some people will 
listen to and amplify it. I was yeah. like, that was a huge lesson for me. Really it's cool. And, you know, um, people still, I mean, I miss Barack Obama even right now as a president because not just him, but David Axelrod, David Plouffe, you know, the whole campaign really focused and used the internet. I mean, they were the first ones because yeah. the iPhone came out just a year earlier, 2007. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had the apps Mm-hmm. And you can contribute via the apps. You mm-hmm. can find information on the apps. You can type in, you know, whatever issues were important to you on the apps. And you had a feeling that they had a real connection to the people. And, you know, I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that was your first experience coming here. And um, yeah. so you were in and out of recording studios even while you were here. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, I got random jobs like... Uh, as a session singer for some people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just uh, actually that's how this came about with Will Glow in the Dark Forever. Um, there was a, I was, so I started doing short films. Part of the reason was I wanted to be a better performer. Mm-hmm. Like I I didn't feel at home in my body on you mean stage. on stage? Yeah, yeah as a singer. You. Yeah. If I like move my arm like this, it felt like a, like a, not myself like I couldn't yeah. own movement yeah um so I did a few things to try to like just get more at home in mm-hmm. my body and mm-hmm. one of the things I did was acting yeah and um, another thing I did was um dance I started so, ballet so that's interesting that's how you sort of got into theater just to get a better understanding of yourself just physically yes okay. that's one reason and then another reason was um I I at the time I was like this you know, broke artist, and I injured my back. I didn't even have, like, um, the resources to go get it checked out or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I used to work in, like, bars. I was a bartender, and, Mm -hmm. like, um, I would, like, work in the the restaurant industry, and I just assumed, like, when I go out here, if I need a job, Mm -hmm. like, I could get a a industry job in the restaurant. Um, But my back was hurting, and I was like, okay, what can I do and I came up with um yeah auditioning for like a bunch of because I could do like it with when you're acting you're not like lifting bussing tables and like bussing mm-hmm. heavy things lifting like kegs of beer yeah usually right yeah <laughs> unless so, you've been cast for it, yeah, yeah exactly so um it just it was like a just a different thing to do but luckily I got just cast over and over. I was very lucky in the beginning and I just kept getting cast in whatever audition I went to like over and over and over. I was just on this crazy trajectory. Yeah. I haven't and seen I you on stage, but you must be incredibly it. talented because when I look at the internet media, uh, music data, internet, the IMDB database, um, you've got all sorts of credits. I mean, I, I don't have a phone. You've even been nominated. I'm looking at this uh, thing here. Best Actress, San Jose State Film Production Society. Yeah. I think you got another award. Um, it may have been for I Don't Have a Phone. So yeah. it sounds like the minute you hit the road, the proverbial road, you were running. I I never, I just, as soon as I started, just even the first student film I did out here, and I did one back in college, I just, I just loved, I loved acting so yeah. much. So, um, and I think, I was really lucky too because I felt very comfortable in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I felt like there's all kinds of people here. Like where I grew up, I didn't really have, um, like if you go to the post office, it would be like 
all white people working there. Oh. Like here, like mm. I go to a post office, I see people who look like my family or like just anywhere. Just it just yeah. felt Mult- like a welcoming Mult- place. Yeah, multiculturalism yeah. is in the DNA of, of the Bay yeah. Area. Yeah. And um and a lot of the colleges out here have international students. And I felt so comfortable with them. There was a lot of um, people who hired me who were from like Asia um, and over here to do their film degree. And I felt just really comfortable with them, like family. And it was just, it's an experience I wouldn't have gotten if I had stayed in Boston, I don't think. Yeah, I visited Boston only once. It was around 2005. And I found it very... Norman and I have talked about this. Yeah. There's, there are also the degrees of racism. You yeah. know, in the in the deep south, they'll tell you right in your face, "Nigga, yeah. go home." <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> but in the north, um, there's a, a sort of um, they won't tell you in your face, but it's sort of a coldness. Like yep. you're not a part of this family. What what are you even doing here in this neighborhood? I and I felt that in Boston. That too. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's, I mean, I I've, I've been schooled by my friends and colleague that there is also like very very poisonous um like dangerous racism in boston as well but Mm. the one the stuff that i've encountered has been that it's just like this extra look i can't i can't even describe it to someone who hasn't experienced it but it's just it's almost like being at a house party yeah but no one will talk to you everyone will be you know people can smile in your face yeah but if they're cold it's almost like a poster yes you know a poster if you touch it it's cold yeah and there's no warmth and no one really is interested in, in what you're doing or yeah. whatever. And that's sort of the feeling that I had. Yeah. So, um, it's a hard, um, it's a hard thing to be around for years. Like, yeah, uh, and imagine I'm, so. I, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's its own brand of it's every, every yeah. city has its own brand. Yeah. Yeah. Very brand. much so. Now you, I had no idea because I, you know, I really thought, well, Catherine is really more into music than anything, but you've been involved in Bendelstiff. Yeah. I had no idea that you yeah. uh, did. I love you. And You're you, perfect. Now change. Yes. I just finished doing the Bendelstiff yeah. thing and I've been working with Bendelstiff since 2011 and That's I have cool. tons and tons and tons of folks who have been on the yay from Bendelstiff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, when that was. I, I was cast in a musical that was put on there and I ended up getting sick and I, uh, another amazing actress stepped in and, and took my role, which was amazing. Uh, I got bronchitis. And then, um, weirdly enough, at the same Bindlestiff, again, I got cast again. I had the opportunity to work there. But the um, theater company that put on I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change was actually in L.A., um, oh, so they rented yeah, out Bindlestiff. They rented it out. I They're one it. of the, because Bindlestiff mostly does like, you know, like it's so big in the Filipino community, right? right? Mm-hmm. So they're one of the, like, I think they're allowed like a certain per- percentage of time can go to outside organizations to use that. Mm-hmm. So they um, let this uh, LA, they were like transplants from LA and they um, wanted to do producing musical theater. So they produced that show there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool because they had um, gotten the permission to change some of the genders of okay. the characters. Oh, nice. So we had same-sex yeah. couples represented um, in that show, which was really, really cool. Was that your first experience on stage as an actress? That was 
let's see, that was my, maybe the second, uh, first musical that I got, like, paid for, that I, um, like, got, like, a check, like, <laughs> small yeah. check, but a check, mm -hmm. um, and I had done a play at the Chinese Historical Society, uh, directed by Eddie Wong, um, I think prior to that, that was okay. my first. Because I was going to ask you, thing. what was the experience like for you? Like, you know, I've, I've gone to acting school yeah. and I went to even acting school in high school. So when a director says, here's the script, mm -hmm. we're going to write down blocking. You're going to go here, there, get off book, mm -hmm. figure out the beats. Mm -hmm. I studied Stanislavski and mm. you hadn't really gone through that. So no. I was wondering what was your first experience being on stage, having to be an actor and yeah. get the script and all that stuff. Well, um, I remember like when I first started student films, mm -hmm. I found it so much easier to memorize scripts than music. That's interesting. <laughs> Cause I was like, oh, it's like learning a song, but you don't have to learn all the rhythm and the melody and the, mm -hmm. the cues to come in and everything. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was to me, it yeah. was like easy it's not easy but it like it felt like oh, oh that's a break well that's well that's that's good because usually it would be the opposite it's like oh my yeah, god yeah. i've got five pages of script or you know maybe 20 if you have yeah. a big role no it was it just um was really fun mm -hmm. and um right before i did the audition for mm -hmm. i love you you're perfect now change i <sighs> i had been following at the time barbara cook was still alive the you know kennedy center honoree like mm -hmm darling of the golden age of uh, musical theater in America. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I had been following her since I was in high school, like just in the back of my mind, like because um, my high school teacher like assigned me one of her songs that she had done. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw on her website that she does master classes. So I reached out on her website and was like, if she ever does a master class in the Bay Area, I'd love to take it. Um, and they're like, oh, well, like, do you want to come to her apartment and do a master class, like wow. private? And it was so strange because I'm not in New York City a lot, but yeah. it just so happened that that Friday I was going to be flying in to New York City to go to my friend's wedding in New Jersey. So I was like, I can be there Friday <laughs> at seven. Mm -hmm. And they're like, great. Um, hire an accompanist and here's the address and it's going to be like 300 bucks or whatever. That's not and, bad. Yeah. And um, I got a lesson with her. Yeah. In her apartment, private, and I have it on a, like a little voice recorder that has no USB. So I need to like, yeah, that's... I need to capture that <coughs> audio. Mm -hmm. It's like priceless now. So she, when I did the master class, she was like incredibly like, incredibly kind to mm -hmm. me um in a new york way because i called her i remember she's like what do you want <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that she's is like, how new yorkers like, sweet, are yeah. a character she plays on stage but so new york when yeah, i met yeah. her and um she was like she's like you what'd she say she's like she's like you've got to look you've got to type you could do it she's like tell them i i said barbara cook said i'm good <laughs> and then um oh, said you're good or whatever mm -hmm. and i i literally told that to some people at hopefully some you got a selfie <laughs> no 
I, but I have this recording of okay. the two of us. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to be that person. To be sure. Like, no, I understand. I understand. You know, <laughs> people can say, no, you no, you didn't or something like that. But that was a wonderful experience. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, she was really a master of, a, of interpreting song. Yeah. And like if I was singing the word rainbow, she'd mm-hmm. be like, stop. It's not rainbow. It's rainbow. Like you make it with your voice. Right. But the meaning is... Um, that was something I, I really took with me yeah, from musical you know, theater. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've, t- I've had, you know, guests on who, and I've done a lot of musical theater when the Douglas Morrison theater was up. I've done a bunch of stuff like Candide and, um, Grey Gardens and, and whatever, but it's fascinating approaching what I would call beats and objectives and beats and objectives are basically the emotional, when yeah. you make an emotional change. Yeah. And the character. And in musicals, you can get that. And sort of in a way that you don't necessarily get it in, let's say, pop or rock or whatever. Because you have a three-minute song and you're thinking yes. about a love song. You're really lo- you're yeah. saying something, going through, some, going through something in a musical because a song has to be there to right. advance the story. Right, exactly. Yeah. But you have to do it all through your voice and all through just musicality. I had a... Yeah. Um, her birthday's coming up. Um, she's a musical... Um, she trains um, music... Mar- Marianne Wolf, but in any case, she talked about um, how you have to think about your breath. Yes. You know, um, although I do sing, um, I never really thought about approaching it from a classical way, like um, thinking yeah. about okay, how long if I've got like I don't know three measures of singing, and yeah. I've got to think about where I'm going to place my breath, yeah. and where I'm going to use my articulators to, yeah. I mean, my resonators. That's what I meant. Yeah. Let's say I'm singing from the head or from the chest or from the mask. Mm. Do you go through that training, or have you had that sort of training? Oh yeah, I I feel so thoroughly trained in voice that I feel <laughs> like a lot of my my process now is is trying to leave a little bit of that behind actually because right. like when I met with Miss Cook she was like you know I don't really care for that much diction like I was like trying to impress her I'm like that is like I was like right, really right, art- right. she was like I don't care for that like you know and I um I I realized there's other things that are important than even just producing the sound perfectly right I'm, I'm very much a perfectionist when it comes to capturing my voice mm-hmm. I've had to I, I just more curious now about just sounding human right and um not so like just as perfect as I can or something yeah um but I don't know where I was going with this <laughs> well no I mean it's funny when, when you were mentioning yeah. that I was thinking about your little your song um We'll grow in the dark forever. I mean, yeah. you sound very, very natural. Because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like yeah. when I did Candide, it was interesting because it was a mixture of opera singers or opera trained singers yeah. and a mixture of actors. Mm-hmm. And of course, we actors had a problem with, okay, go to measure 51 and you're going to do, I don't know, a, um, um, I forget what they what they call it, uh, like a, a, a Allegri like or something or, like okay. or, or one, one of those yeah. phrases. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. of course the, the, uh, the actors, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, the voc- the classically trained mm-hmm. folks had a really, really hard problem expressing emotion. Yeah. Cause you're, it's all about, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like ballet dancer dancing and they might have no idea what to do to dance another form of dance. Sure. Like, um, but 
yeah, I think to be a versatile, mm-hmm. I think act like being in um, film and in on stage has really helped me with that. To with my voice too, to you know not mm-hmm. not worry about the um, I don't know the the high sure. parts of it and more of the. But let's say if you yeah. had to sing "I Love You" and let's say you're singing it, but the motivation is you're saying "I love you" to your mother who's died. Mm. that'll be a different motivation than let's say a 15 year old saying I love you to someone love you bye (laughs) right exactly (laughs) yeah so there's always the motivation behind it or I love you if you're an inmate in jail yeah and you're saying goodbye because the five minutes are up and you have to go back in there Mm -hmm. you know the the emotion what you have inside those intentions are different yeah and it'll hopefully come out yeah. In, in your voice. I can think about Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. um, Len Carew singing, you know, the demon barber and, you know, yeah. his, you know, what love's means to him. Mm-hmm. And it's tied in with vengeance and pain. That yeah. That musical's fantastic. I'm yeah. a big Sondheim fan. Same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were on stage, cause you were talking about wanting to get connected with your body so yeah. that your body can float. Did you have that? I mean, did you? Okay. So yes, and no, because um, I felt like I was every day that I was on stage with um, "I Love You, You're Perfect Now." Change that was like I I could dance around, I could move mm-hmm. a lot. That was a huge period of growth. It was my first musical, and it was just really exciting. And then um, when I did Eleanor of Aquitaine, mm-hmm. it was a different kind of challenge because I had to be sitting in one spot. We were gonna tape it mm-hmm. um, during the pandemic um, for. The first run was um, the coronation and crowning of Eleanor of Aquitaine, which was a long monologue, Mm -hmm. and that was very stationary. And Mm -hmm. then these four separate monologues were combined into the Anarchy Quartet. Now, was this old English? So it's so old English that Mm -hmm. it's not even English yet. (laughs) Wow. It's it's when, I mean, it's really kind of So in other words, did you have to get to talk an iambic pentameter? No, um, so the it's very contemporarily okay. written. Okay. So we don't have to talk like that. But um, we did. It was fascinating. I this is a part of European history that I didn't know very much about, but mm-hmm. um, learned so much in the preparation for yeah. it. Where you know England wasn't English didn't even exist yet. It wow. was mixed with French. And, wow. Yeah. That's a, so it's like the 1300s. I want to say 13 or the 1200s. The, yeah, the, you know, wealthy and rulers were speaking Latin. Yeah. And they were speaking uh, like an old form of French. Mm-hmm. Um, she, This person that I portrayed was speaking uh, maybe Occitanian, Aquitanian. Um, mm. It was fascinating. I, I studied French in like high school and I... I loved like learning about this part of France, not Paris, mm-hmm. but Poitiers and like um, more in the Provence and even close to like the Basque yeah. region. Yeah. It has its own incredible culture that was actually later on like kind of stamped down. Mm-hmm. But um, so anyway, England didn't really even have English yet. It, there were um, the common people spoke something that became maybe it's Celtic or something like that became English yeah um, but uh, it became so like influenced by French and it's it, now mm-hmm. what we know as English is yeah. such a like a mix of all that that time yeah, yeah. so was the experience at the exit a, a good thing or were you yeah. frustrated or um so at the exit I our director is Nick Trengrove mm-hmm. he was he's a incredible director mm-hmm. I 
love working with him. He, of course, has this vision, but he allowed, especially in the process of doing the solo monologue first, mm -hmm. the year before, and then the the Anarchy Quartet, um, he gave me a lot of freedom. Like, I was like, I'm going to do this accent, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, people just let me do it. I was like, yeah. okay. Um, uh, and so working with him and the other actors are amazing. Um, it was a role written for me mm -hmm. by Stuart. I don't know how to say his last name. Roussel, I think. Okay. Um, which was very um, special. Nice. And then the producer, Christina, um, I don't know how to say her name. I know everyone's name, like, written, but mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce, but Ag Agello, Agello, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, the founder, one of the founders of the Exit Theater, I was very excited to work there because it was a theater founded by a woman. Yeah, and that's right. all the, the history of, I, like, I saw right before um, the pandemic happened, I saw Never the Sinner there, mm -hmm. and I just loved that production and I, I was really excited to be able to work there. Um, so it, for me, it was a really special experience. Yeah. And like I said, it may be, uh, the, the last time that we see something at the exit. So it's good that you have part of that history and yeah, a couple of lucky. these posters that you're looking at are from the exit. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, summer shorts cross wires. And I think yeah. the last time I was there, it was a Fringe Festival. Uh, it was oh, um, the, the Texas yeah. Texas Chainsaw Musical. <laughs> that was cool. a very, very crazy musical. So that was fun. That sounds so fun. <laughs> and the exit is continuing in Northern California. Christina is doing um, Arcata is okay. the town. And they're continuing there. Yeah. And I think they're affiliated with some other theaters. Yeah. But yeah, that particular location, I think the bones of it will be there hopefully somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think that space will probably be a hotel or uh, some yeah. sort of residency or something like that. I'm, I'm so sad. Yeah. And also, I don't know if you were ever affiliated with uh, Piano Fight. I have, let's see, I've like definitely been there. Yeah, because they moved, yeah. they were downtown, and now they're actually here oh. along Jacqueline Square. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, they're on 2nd or 3rd and Broadway, cool. which was used to be the flight deck. Are they not in San Francisco? Not what? anymore. Really? One, another one of those casualties. A lot of these uh, companies that were in San Francisco are moving away. It, just like Yoshi's. And, yeah. Exactly. Oh my Yoshi's gosh. was in yeah. San Francisco. Well, it's always been here yeah, yeah, in the yeah. Bay Area. But, but they, they did have a location. Too, yeah. yeah. And now they've moved away. So I'm sad to... I have no idea what's going to happen in the, in the city of San Francisco. There's yeah. a lot of changes that are happening. So. Yeah, that's... it's Well, yeah, it's sad. It's the brutality of capitalism, I think. You know, landlords mm -hmm. want their money, and if mm -hmm. you can't pay. Um, speaking of the future, what about your future? What do you want to do in the future? Do you want to, I don't know, go to L.A., go back to New York? Um, do you are you do you want to do a YouTube channel, or <laughs> do you want to put out a record? Because I'm sure you have material yeah. to put out a record. Um, I want to put out a record. During the pandemic, I have been working with my band. I, I call it my new band. Mm -hmm. I guess it's been new for a couple years. Okay. <laughs> but we, I mean, we don't have anything out. So um, mm -hmm. we have a seven song record that we're working on. Excellent. And it's, it's all, it's actually in the final mix this week and mm -hmm. um, going on to mastering this, the end of this month, beginning of next month. So I, 
I hope if if you're listening, please find me on you know socials if you'd like to. Yeah, and we'll have all of your links. So uh, I know that you're on iTunes, and I think we have the iTunes link here. Let me just click on here. yeah, there's the iTunes link right there. But that's just will glow in the dark forever. But I'm assuming yeah. that there will be. I mean, do you have a channel? Do you have a YouTube channel? I do. Um, I think I have that video mm-hmm. on it. Um, so this song came about because I had done a short film and someone saw it and knew I was a singer. So they hired me to, they commissioned me to make a song for their short film. This was Dominic Stevenson. And. Um, he paid me to write the song and get it recorded. Mm-hmm. So that's how I had the funds to do that. It was really special. So that exists because of him. Um, and, but yeah, I, it's, it's a, it's a lot to put out work and keep it up on the, all the platforms and everything. So, and I find I love being in a band. I, I do solo work as well mm-hmm. um, as a musician, but um, my favorite is, is with a band because music is so collaborative yeah so um yeah you can you can catch my like i'm doing a solo show on the 13th of november let me write this down Uh uh-huh um that's at um capua gardens in san francisco okay and that's with actually two other asian american songwriter women Mm mm-hmm who are wonderful, um, <coughs> Francis Anchetta and Lisa Graciano. Mm-hmm. Um, they're incredible songwriters, incredible women. I really look up to. Um, and it's been so healing to connect with my my music community and you know other women, Asian American women using their voices. And um, that's a whole other thing that uh, is, has been really healing, really exciting, is to just find that community and meet with each other. Um, and create. Yeah, there's so, some audio stuff going on, yeah, but, but we're, we're good. Um, yeah, no, well, if you give us a link to what you'll be doing there and yeah. we'll, we'll pump it. Um, probably easiest to follow me now is Instagram, so Catherine Park, mm-hmm. and that would be awesome. Yeah, if anyone's resonating with any of this, please do follow yeah you're on instagram facebook and twitter so anyone can find you so that's awesome well that's great um i want to be respectful of your time so it's after (laughs) so it's almost 1 30 but um there have been a couple of i usually we do shout outs for birthdays and i just gotta find that okay there we go so there have been happy birthday <laughs> exactly uh let's see a good friend of mine alex frankel his birthday is today happy and birthday, uh, we were alex. just talking about the texas chainsaw musical he was the surprise bad guy on that and actually he's one of those who is um trained classically so he's a uh i think he's a um tenor but in any case alex happy birthday to you marianne wolf i was just talking about her she was the longtime vocal director and musical director at um the douglas morrison theater so her birthday will be the 30th and let's see who else do we have andy maramontes uh it's his birthday will be on the 30th as well he we did debbie does dallas the musical which is another crazy musical more saturday night live than foreign (laughs) 
you see the poster right there. Ah. You have so many awesome posters. Like, just to give everyone listening an idea, the walls are covered with awesome, awesome media and posters. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's sort of a history of uh, the Bay Area, or at least, you know, from the earliest one is uh, Water Buffalo uh, 2000. Wow. But in any case, yeah, so Andy, happy birthday to you. Uh, a good friend of mine, a wonderful actor and playwright, Aaron Hahn, uh, we did, what did we do? It was um, Lifetimes 3, which is a wonderful muse, uh, wonderful play by Yasmina Reza, and that poster is in my bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, Aaron is a, uh, as a matter of fact, I think he has a, uh, a piece that was just done. I, um, I reached out to him and I was like, man, you got to come on the A. And he was like, no, I'm burned out and... I think he's shy. I'm trying to get people to come on. So, in any case, his birthday is on the 31st on on uh, Halloween. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you, Aaron. November the 1st, Coming Oliver back. Saria, Ali, um, a Philippine writer. As a matter of fact, he wrote in a Dallas World Famous Lechon. Oh, cool. Which uh, we just did earlier this year. Uh, a fantastic guy. He was on the podcast a couple of, uh, I think, a month or so ago. And, uh, in any case, happy birthday to you, Ali. Uh, Bruce Kaplan, his birthday is on November the 2nd. He is an actor. I acted with him when we did One Ten in the Shade, one of the musicals that we did at the Douglas Morrison. And he is still active, and I got to get him on in the, the seat for the A. Happy birthday, Bruce. And uh, two more. Richard Harder, one of the casualties of COVID was uh, Off Broadway West, and that was a company that had wonderful, wonderful shows. Wonderful black box, serious uh, dramas. Hedda Gobbler, I'm looking at that poster. Um, um, the April Fool Guard piece, Master Harold and the Boys, uh, that's a poster. All of those were directed by Richard Harder. Um. And he and his wife has moved to Oregon, I believe, and uh, Opera West is no more. But his birthday is November the 2nd. Happy birthday, Richard. And the last person is Brant Blower. He is a friend of mine. As a matter of fact, talking about gigging, he and I have been gigging. Hey, Brant, I bought a Cole Clark guitar. So, <laughs> When's your next gig? Uh, yeah, we got to do our next gig. But he is a, an amazing guitarist. And as a matter of fact, that's how he met his uh, wife, who is a singer, um, Joanne Lorenzano. I believe they're in Paris right now. So they're probably celebrating his birthday. His birthday is November the 4th. He's a wonderful classic guitarist. Happy birthday, Brant. And there are some shows that I want to uh, push. Uh, let's see here. Let me get there. So the Exit Theater, we were talking about the Exit Theater. One of their last shows is called Adventures in Place, which is a collection of poems, short stories uh, done by people who have been affected. All of us have been affected by COVID-19, but these are what I would call COVID stories. The first week, November the 4th, one of them will be a piece called Strange Friend Civil War, written and performed by Adrienne Dean, and she was on episode 82. I've worked with her. She's fantastic. That actor is incredible. Yes, love, she love. is. Wow, yeah. small world, huh? Yeah. yeah. We did a, a film uh, feature like a couple years ago. Wow, she's that is awesome. So yeah, talented. she'll be, and she had been away for a while, so she's coming back. Um on the second week, November the 16th, uh, will be a piece called Windows, Walks, Basketball, and Aunts, written by a good friend of mine, Nassim Badi. She is a, um, a Afghani uh, writer, and she and I uh, were in the, um, the Berkeley Rep 
uh, playwriting class. That's how I knew Nassim, mm-hmm. and she's been on the EA, so you have to check that out. Oh, yeah. The very that next looks amazing. I follow her on, on Facebook. She's yeah, Nassim is awesome. She's really, really good. Uh, the very next day, uh, November the 17th, Jerome Gentes has a piece called Catholic Tastes and Oral History. Jerome has been on the A twice. As a matter of fact, he was our very, very first guest. Aww. He sort of helped us inaugurate the A. And uh, we had him back. He's been in uh, L.A. with his husband. Yeah. Uh, he's producing all sorts of cool things. So he's coming back. I think he's coming back because he knows that the exit is on its last leg. So he wants to contribute. Yeah. Uh, and then on the 19th, Robert Estes has a piece called How Could You Allow? And Robert Estes, he's, he's been on the A twice. He is a the founder and the artistic director of Anton's Well, who's been producing all sorts of wonderful pieces around the Bay Area, mm. mainly at Central Works. They rent out Central Works to do wonderful pieces. So Robert S.S. has a piece there. So that's that at the exit. Theodore Rhinoceros has A Slice of Life. That'll be November the 5th through the 27th. John Fisher wrote and directed the show. Christine Urin, who designed many of the pieces, many of the uh, the posters that Catherine's talking about, she also designed this poster. Oh. <laughs> so, so uh, check out A Slice of Life. Um, the Altarina is doing a nice family gathering that's running right now until November the 20th, directed by my good friend Kimberly Ridgway, who is always busy as an actress, as a director. Uh, she directed this piece. Theater Works is doing Little Shop of Horrors, a classic uh, um, musical. That'll be um, their opening November the 30th through December the 24th, directed by Jeffrey Lowe, who is a fantastic playwright and director. So check that out at Theater Works. The Presidio Theater is doing Sleeping Beauty uh, from December the 1st through the 30th, and I have a couple of friends in there, Eko Yamamoto and Sharon Shao. Both amazing Asian actresses, and Echo's been on the A many, many times. Yeah. Do you know some of these folks? No, but I'm like, my sisters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know you, but I support you. <laughs> uh, so check that out. That's at the Presidio Theater. Uh, the Hillbarn Theater is doing Clybourne Park. Their last show is tomorrow. So if you listen to this in time, check that out. A good friend of mine, Andrew Ippolit, a magnificent black actress, is in that show. Check that out. Uh, Playground San Francisco, and I've been involved in Playground for a while now as a writer and as an actor. They have a thing called the 2022 in- Innovators Showcase. They're basically showcasing uh, young, budding writers and uh, production companies uh, producing their shows. And I'll be involved in one of them on November the 7th. We are finishing up the Baldwin Project. That was something that Norman and I have um, started up with the Oakland Oakland Theater uh, Project. The Oakland, yeah, the Oakland Theater Project. That's and it awesome. deals with James Baldwin. It'll be his 100th anniversary of his birth, and uh, so we've been doing that. On November the 26th, 27th, uh, La Vida Lobo will be performed at the uh, playground. Uh, Lind Amayo Hassan wrote the play. She has a wonderful... Um, Latina um, playwright and Katya Rivera will be directing that. Also uh, at the uh, Innovator Showcase will be For My Lolo. Um, the Philippine Company, the Chickahan Theater Company will be doing that. It'll be, it's written and it'll be directed by Ina, Eli Sonny Orquiza. If you know Eli, he was the one who um, created the Living Document Basically, this movement within within the Bay Area theater community forcing theater companies to focus on um, culturally diverse actors, 
and plays and subject matters Very so that our voices can be heard. Grateful for yeah. him. Oh, that yeah. worked. And the minute he did that, it really created a disruption within the theater, Bay Area theater community, along with COVID-19, basically telling theater companies, hey, listen, if you're going only going to do white-based uh, shows and yeah. actors, or let's, let's say you're only hiring us as tokens, yep. We're not gonna we're not gonna work in your company anymore. Mm. So it's created a great disruption and it's made a great change in the theater community. Also, um, Latinx Mafia is doing Charles Darwin, her true story. That'll be November the 18th through the 20th. Also at uh, Playground San Francisco, Letita Duarte, and she's been on the A. Uh, she will be in the show. She is a member of Latinx Mafia. So that is it. So check out PlaygroundSF.org. I have the link there slash incubator so check out the uh the incubator series could i shout out a play i'm seeing tonight yes go for it uh, tina d'alia um i'm not sure how to that's I'm... right we we're, we we're going to have her on the yay but she uh, fell sick she was going to be my guest uh yes uh last week oh well i hope she's feeling better no I'm she's feeling to... better okay. now. <laughs> i'm supposed to see her tonight and overlooked latinas so that's yeah. right that's right that is going to, be, to happen and it'll have a life of its own after this so yeah. we're going to have her on again i'm hoping it'll be november the fourth or some other first or second week of november but yeah, yeah that's awesome oh awesome. small world awesome. um the vet the west valley light opera will be doing something rotten and that'll be from November the 5th through December the 3rd. Another great singer, actress, Melissa Mambuis will be in that show. So we have the link for that. Cutting Ball Theater has been doing a play called Pony, focusing on um, LGBT, specifically transgendered uh, themes. Uh, Karen Beshia is directing the piece, and Julie Coabara has been getting rave reviews, uh, and she is in the piece. Uh, lots of write up, writes up from the San Francisco Chronicle, and a bunch of others. So you got to check that out. Um, Christmas in Oz will be done uh, by the Coastal Repertory Theater December the 1st through the 18th. A good friend of mine, Danny Martin, he and I were in 110 in the Shade. Uh, he is, this is his directorial debut. So good luck to you, Danny, and the show. Central Works is doing the Women's Annex. That's been running and it'll be running until November the 13th. Elizabeth Carter is directing that. I think I've got two more. Yeah, two more. Gypsy is being done by 42nd Street Moon. As a matter of fact, that'll be a great company for you to work for because they do all sorts of. Yeah. They do a lot of musicals. They do a lot of musicals. Mm. So check that out. Uh, Mara Sotelo, a wonderful uh, Philippine uh, actress and singer, is in that. Uh, So check that out. She and I were in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. That was another great, cool musical that we did at. the Town Hall Theater. I love that title. <laughs> it is very, very cool. I don't know that one. Um, and the last one, the Costra Costa Musical Theater is doing The Spelling Bee. That'll be November the 4th through the 20th. A good friend of mine, Stephen McLeod, is co-directing that. I believe it's his directing or co-directing debut. So check that out. And there are a couple of podcasts that I want to push. Uh, not only do I push the A, of course, but Barry Graves, a good friend of mine, he, of course, was in my play, Foreman in Paris, as uh, Richard Wright. He has a, a podcast called The Black Man's Heart, so check that out. Mallory Somera, our wonderful consulting producer, her day job is KCBS Radio, and she has a weekly news podcast called Connect the Dots, so check that out. And Bindlestiff has the Fobcast, so check out the Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American Immigrant Stories, so check that out. 
also I'm going to push um, jerseys. We've got jerseys. We've got black jerseys. We've got white jerseys. If you support the yay, what we're doing. And yay. I've been posting pictures of people who have them. I have them on my desk right here. So, uh, so hit me up. It's only $30. Uh, you can Venmo me the money or, you know, pay, uh, PayPal me. But uh, it's been great seeing people wear the jerseys and supporting us who support Bay Area Theater. And I think there was one last thing I wanted to point out. Uh, let me see. Let me scroll up here. Yes, my good friend Javier Reyes. He was on episode 99. He is part of an interesting group called Bayview United Gaming, bringing young black and brown male high school students together through video games in a safe, controlled social settings. The group meets every Thursday from 4 to 6.30 p.m. Hit him up, Javier, at 100collegeprep.org. Javier has been uh, a major contributor to just reaching out, doing outreaches within uh, the juvenile facilities and also just within the streets. That's awesome. Um, encouraging black men, black boys to, you know, better their lives and all that sort of stuff. So this is his little project. So he's been on the Yay. He's also been on, I had another podcast, which I want to revive, called Black in the Bay. And uh, he talked very, very passionately about that. And that is it. Uh, Catherine, did you enjoy yourself? Oh, I did. Anyone who wants, gets asked to come on this podcast, please do. It's really, really <laughs> awesome. There's even food here. There, it's, <laughs> Which I hope you get to, to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Like I said, I did a cold call or a cold, you know, I am message you saying, hey, my name is Reg Clay. And it's got to be tough for, you know, a woman to come to, you know, you know me from Adam. And I'm like, you know. But yeah. you did, and yeah. I'm very, very thankful that you did. Oh, I'm I'm so grateful, and I, you know, I did my homework. I listened to other episodes. I'm like, oh, it's really a podcast, and I had seen you perform, mm -hmm. of course, and we have mutual people in common. So you got to live, you know. You gotta <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be afraid, no, I, I totally appreciate that. Uh, and also, one last thing I'll announce: we are we I've been pushing. VA to be on all podcast apps and a lot of times it's just as simple as just putting up the RSS feed and it'll just be pushed out. Sometimes you have to do more, a little bit more work, but now we're on the Amazon podcast. So just go on music.amazon.com, search for the A and you'll find us. So we're on Amazon. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. We're on the Apple podcast app, that purple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad. We're also on uh, Spotify, Overcast, SoundCloud, the A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. I, we're Our official Twitter feed is the A3. I'm at Reg Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Catherine, you could be found at Catherine Park, whether you're on Instagram or Twitter. Do you do, uh, no, I guess there's, that's it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if there's any other. TikTok, do you do the TikTok thing? I don't do TikTok yet. Um, I'm on SoundCloud. I'm on Bandcamp, um, and I'm updating my website because during the pandemic, my verb.com who hosted it, they, they closed. So I have ah. a new provider and I'm working on that. Bandcamp, that was the one because it was, I don't know if you know, Golda Sargento, she's also another, she's a wonderful, no. um, she has a band and she's been performing at Bendelstiff. She's a Bendelstiff and she talked to me about Bandcamp. Yeah. So yeah, so we got to follow your Bandcamp as well. All right, that is it. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better sign off, and we are out.